This is a podcast about failure. With me, Lola Berry, author, nutritionist, and yoga teacher. Join me as we get to know these guests and learn about how their failures have ultimately shaped their dreams. Welcome to Fearlessly Failing with Lola Berry. Hello, today we have Julia Grace on the podcast. So I met Julia because she was one of my acting teachers. She's an actor, a director, and an acting teacher. Her whole ethos is really about showing up, being open, being honest, being vulnerable, and kind of like having the courage to be vulnerable. So if you're an actor, of course, you'll get something from this. But if you're not an actor, I believe that you'll get loads from this because I think we can all... Ah, gain a little bit from embracing our own vulnerability. And I remember one of the things Julia said in class and she said, eyes up, heart open. And I kind of like that metaphor for life. Big love and enjoy. Julia Grace, I am so honoured to have you here. When I wrote to you on Insta, I just slid into your DMs. <laughs> I was like, do you want to jump on the pod? So for people listening, I'm lucky enough that Julia has one of, been one of my teachers at acting school for two terms now, I'm pretty sure. Do you know what? Who know? No one knows what yeah. day of the week, month, year it is this year. Totally. I could have taught you for 10 years and no one would know. So, yeah. <laughs> but you're also an actor, a writer, a producer, a director, a uh, teacher, which we just mentioned, and I want to like learn a little bit about what it is that um, you teach because you've got a very specific style. And I still remember my first ever <laughs> class with you. And I went this morning. I went over my first class notes of yours. Hilarious, so hilarious, but so not even hilarious. Just like I was like, oh, this is this is gold for life, and that's why I really wanted to get you on the podcast because I think that whether people are into acting or not, <laughs> they will definitely take something from the way your brain ticks and the way that um, I would say you, you choose to live. So that's why I'm here today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Well, you know, I guess because I've learned so many techniques through being an actor and then I studied specific techniques, mm-hmm. which include the Meisner technique and viewpoints. Um, but if you asked me, well, what do you teach or what specifically, really if I had to put it in a nutshell, and now I'm laughing because every time I say in a nutshell, I think of Austin Powers, which A, shows how old I am (laughs) and also how daggy as well. Austin Powers is the best though. But do you know who does that thing of like, this is me in a nutshell? No, what bit is that? Oh, God. (laughs) This is how I've started. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm not going to reenact it for you right now, Lola, because we're talking about <laughs> serious <laughs> acting things. No, not at all. Um, I would say that I teach or I encourage people to embrace everything they are and bring that to the role. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's sort of like the byline underneath the techniques that I teach. At the end of it, what are you going to get? Hopefully um, a more embodied self to bring to any role that you play. I love it. And that's where I, I 
think that applies to life as well. Like if you're going into a meeting, you want to be embodied, connected, truthful, not stuck in your mind. No. But really open. So this is exciting. I want to hear first a a little bit about your history, which was a little bit of fun to research. So at school, is it true that you joined like the drama, like you got involved with drama because you're like, where are the kids to play with? And you figured out they're all in drama. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Lola, I was alone. I was on Thursday lunchtimes or whatever day of the week it was, I was alone. And when I said, where is everyone? They're like, we go to drama, obviously. Um, So of course I went home and said, well, this is not on. Send me to drama class. And um, I distinctly remember going in and Miss Amanda, that was the teacher's name, (laughs) saying, we're auditioning for a play, it's King Midas and the Golden Touch, so everyone show me your best king. And I got a ruler and started banging it on the table and that seemed pretty straightforward and then I got the main role. I was like, oh, this is easy. (laughs) (laughs) And fun as well. Like I think that it sounds, I've heard you share that story. It sounded like just fun and but so young to have that moment. Yeah, I would have been about eight. Yeah. But then if you talk to a lot of actors, creatives, they're like, yeah, I was in all the school plays. You know, I was the fairy on top of the Christmas tree every Christmas at my school. Yeah, and, do you know, I think it's so interesting whenever you ask someone about their past because obviously we have created memories that may or may not be true. You know, we have a perspective of what's happened to us. And if you ask your parents or your siblings how do you remember it, it's it's obviously going to be different. So I remember being or being told I was a shy child. So mm-hmm. I was not in every school play. Mm-hmm. This play seemed to be a revelatory experience because I remember, which I actually think is problematic, but I can talk about that later, <laughs> because I do remember parents coming up to me afterwards going, oh, my, what the? Yeah. Julia, we've never seen you do anything like this before. So, um, which, uh, yes. B- b- all very well-intentioned, but actually I think that can come back to bite you in the ass later. Um, From a validation perspective? Correct. Got it. Yeah. So like people kind of praising you and mm-hmm. then you being, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you, I think if you look at creatives, uh, unless, and this is what I love about, I didn't even have a note to talk to you about this, but I love that in the first class I did with you, you were like um, acting isn't therapy. It's quite separate, but I think a lot of creatives use acting as therapy and validation and self-worth and all these other things that you kind of need to sort out either with a therapist or on your own and figure out your own psychology. Oh, Am I kind of right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you've just caught me coming off the back of a workshop that I ran with a psychologist, yeah. Chris Cheers, who um, – the whole weekend was about this and I actually think it's really confronting for creatives but actually anyone, you know, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a landscape gardener, architect, whatever it is, if you have tied what you do to your self-worth, the minute that thing that you do isn't going well or isn't successful by your rubric, then your identity is in trouble. Your self-worth is in trouble. Um, And especially, well, you know, I can only speak to being an actor or being a creative because that's all I've ever done. (laughs) I'd love to be a landscape architect. Is that a job? Did I just make that up? No, no, that's a thing. I'm pretty sure that's. Is that a thing? We'll go with it. Makes gardens look nice. Yeah. I wish I could do that. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, because obviously as a creative you get so many rejections 
Of course. So it can really put it through a few bullet holes through you. Um, and I, yeah, I re- look, I've heard a, a teacher say to me, acting is not therapy, but it can become therapeutic. Mm-hmm. So you may learn about yourself in the process of studying acting or being an actor, but I do not think it is a place. Look, my perspective, and it's different depending on what techniques you've learned, is that I would prefer to rely on my imagination rather than dragging up past trauma. Totally. So yeah. that's where I sit on the uh, acting is not about your trauma and about therapy scale. The other, I was just telling you before this started, I put up a scene that we'd been working on on Zoom for Ian's class and I was playing Maggie out of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Tennessee Williams, and, and that had a bit of weight and I put a bit of pressure on myself. Anyway, and, and we, he was amazing and we workshopped it for quite a while in real life. So it was like kinesthetic and I was like, oh, I could literally feel electricity running through my body. And he said, can you see that now Lola has morphed into Maggie, but really it's just Lola under imaginary circumstance. And I was like, that's what Julia says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, that's really, I'm glad that Ian said that because um, it's, I often, uh worry for actors sometimes learning multiple techniques that you're going to, your brain's going to explode because you'll have people telling you different things, Yeah, which is not a bad thing because everyone will choose the way that works for them. Yes. And that's great. Um, but yes, I am a big proponent of that. It's you under imaginary circumstances. It's, love- it's always you. To me, and this is what I felt the moment I started doing your classes, this feels like a very sustainable way to be in the craft and be in the world of acting and being able to put yourself in, you know, reasonably confronting situations if it's a dark or heavier scene, but to not attach your, yeah, your worth, but not get your psychology or or come at a cost of your psychology. Definitely. And I, you know, just what we were saying before, I feel like it doesn't matter what you do. If you have put your entire self-worth into that sales pitch, into that client, and it doesn't come through, not only will it affect your self-esteem, but it'll probably affect your ability to book the next client or to sell the next thing that you're doing. Um, but it's so hard. We grew up in a goal-orientated world. We're totally. taught that that's... Success. Right. That's what we're we're here to do. So it's a hard thing to push against. Um Back to your earlier, like, training years, you've done a lot, my friend. I've got here Australian Theatre for Young People, then University of Sydney, and then you were hanging out at Suds Heaps, is that right? Yes. And that was, like, where you had connections with a lot of people doing cool things in theatre? Yeah, because my father's an academic. He wouldn't let me. Oh, it sounds like he's, you know, he's he's sort of, like, cracking the whip. Only, uh, only in terms of, um, I was, I got a very clear communication from my father that I should go and do a university degree first. And then if you want to go to drama school after, so that's I was what the same. I did. Don't worry. My dad's a vet and I love him dearly, but he was like, please get a degree. Please get a degree. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But actually it was great because he said, and look, you should go to the University of Sydney because I've got a very good drama, um, society there. And I did. And those people, I met. I was just lucky enough to be in a cohort of the most incredibly talented people who still work in theatre today, not only in Australia but overseas as well. Um, and so it was a it was a great stomping ground, and it has been for a lot of mm. people in the Australian entertainment industry. So um, university was a lot of fun, and I I've failed. 
<laughs> Failing is good. This is one thing I've got a note from you. And, and in one of our classes recently you said, fuck it up as much as you want, y'all. And then, and then you're like, start scene. <laughs> and I like that you celebrate failure and I want to definitely speak more to that. But after Sydney Uni, mm-hmm. you auditioned for like NINA, WAPA, VCA, <laughs> like we've all um, been through that process and you got into VCA, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And like, <laughs> I'm laughing because at the time that was the end of the world for me. If yeah. I if I didn't get into NIDA or, I mean, I was, I'm from Sydney. So obviously NIDA was, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, NIDA's easy. But also, you know, I had exes there and people that I was like, it, it's funny how you have an idea of what you want. You never get what you want. You get what you need. Totally. And, um, and then I thought, yeah, actually, I don't want to go to NIDA. And it was a hor- I mean, I cried through that. I got to like the second round and they started pummeling me with questions and I just cracked and started bawling my eyes out. It was really embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but then went to WAPA, got through, got shortlisted, didn't get a place at WAPA. I was like, what is going on here? And I, I'd auditioned for VCA, but I was so certain that I would get into WAPA. And I think this is, um, you know, if we have time to talk about this, but I actually think this is an important lesson that the minute that you stop making something your everything, mm. that's when doors start to open. So uh, I didn't go into my VCA audition going, oh, you better give me a spot. I better get in. I went in going, I don't, look, y'all, I'm already getting into Whopper. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I didn't though, but it meant that the energy that I went into that audition with was, Oh, yeah, it do, this doesn't matter. And no expectation. No expectation. Mm. And then lo and behold, I got into VCA. And, again, you never know it at the time, but I met the most incredible people there who were still my friends. I had great teachers. But I will say at that time VCA was an institution that culled people. So we started with 31 students and ended with 18. And I am not someone, I have perfectionist tendencies, and I am not someone that thrives under the pressure of, are you going to be good enough to stay this term? Oh, wow. You know, so that was three years of that. Um, For me, and everyone's different, but for me, not the best way for me to flourish. Mm -hmm. No, I understand that. And I think it just adds if you're if you've already got the perfectionist tendencies which i totally relate to but that that means there's already some kind of like subconscious pressure and then if you've got the pressure of the institution it's a recipe for so is it true that after vca there was a bit of a lull for work for you in the industry yes yeah especially because it's even though i felt pressure at vca um i, I still um I guess to an extent I got, you know, in inverted commas, good roles, meaty roles. Mm. Um, so the expe- expectation is, okay, well, if I've been getting the good roles at drama school, it's only a matter of time before yeah. I do, <laughs> you know, all the roles in the industry. Yeah. And when that doesn't happen, uh, yeah, my my pilot light completely went out. So I spent about three years just bumbling around I do feel like there's a disconnect, though, to be honest, like as someone that's in drama school now, but I, I a few friends that are in the course of me are like, you're kind of back engineering at Lola because I've built a career and then I'm going in and studying 
kind of back, a back a kind of a backwards order, which I kind of love for some reason. But I can see that there's a disconnect between graduation and then getting into the workforce. I can just from my business mind is like, oh, there's something not clicking or not everyone's going to get an agent straight away clearly or get that job or get that gig. And so, it, yeah, I've just as a, someone that's observing it and I'm mates with a few people that have just graduated and I'm like, what on earth do you do next? And I, you know what? I think it's important to, to normalise the fact that you may not get an agent straight away. You may not have an agent out in the world and... I have not, I have had periods where I haven't been represented. Yeah. It's okay. It's fine. Yeah. So you had this kind of, the pilot light had gone out, then you go to the theatre and you see this Stephen Wolf production, is that right? Yeah. So, well, the hilarious and embarrassing thing is that I saw the Melbourne Theatre Company version of August Osage Mm -hmm. County um, first. So I remember I was sitting in the front row and this play is one of the most incredible plays and it's got two intervals. Yeah. It's a long time <laughs> yeah. to sit in the theatre, but it was riveting. And a friend of mine said, well, you know that theatre company has a res- residency program over their summer, our winter. Um, you know, maybe you should see if you would like to do that. And, um, well, obviously I had nothing else to do. So I I auditioned for that and, again, this will be a running theme the day that I was to send in my self-tape, so, you know, you write an essay about why you want to go there mm-hmm. and then they go, okay, yeah, can you please send in an audition? Um, I had a quite a big car accident and I was very shaken. I'd written off not only my car but another car. Yes, it was my fault. I'm, you know, <laughs> fine to accept that. Um, but I'm actually a really good driver. I'm just going to put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Keep that in. Yep. Keep that in. Um, But when I went over to my friend's house directly after this accident to choose the take that I was to send Mm -hmm. over to Chicago, I chose the one where I fuck up in the middle of it. Uh, Yes, I was probably in shock, shaking, Mm. but I went, you know what, that one, send that one because it was the most authentic one and uh, I think that's what everyone wants to see. They want to see people being authentic. Mm. And it was, yeah, I think I've – heard you say that like it was something that was honest and when you're watching something that's honest that's when you're really on the you're you're connected to that person and so ballsy move but smart move I think Uh, you know I think at the time again because my energy was dispersed I had just written off two cars Mm. um I was still in shock I knew this tape had to go off that night to America okay, you know what, that one, choose that one. It's like uh, the ballsiness came because I it, that wasn't my whole, whole world at that point. My yeah. whole world was I've just written off two cars. Will my insurance pay for it? Um, I can't believe, and, you know, I have a very strong imagination. So I immediately went into what if I'd killed someone? What if I'd killed mm. someone? Yeah. So, yeah, that dispersion of energy allowed me it also it actually allowed me to have clearer vision. Yeah, and share something truthful and honest and that had you cut through, which is uh, uh, ties into everything that you teach us at school pretty much. You're trying to find that moment of very real human 
experience. It feels like that. Yes, when you're, I hope so, yes. When you're coaching and, like, I've watched you coach other because I love auditing you when I'm not up and you'll be like, all right, just dance. And I was like, oh, my God, if she asked me to dance, I'm screwed. <laughs> sitting there like then I go off and you'll play with pace with me and up and but I can it's so amazing like if we're so just for people listening the last term we're working with Julia on zoom and so if you go up you've probably got like 10 minutes with you or so and then it's gone to the next student and I remember like oh my god if you ask me to dance or sing I'm screwed I'm screwed and then I'd go up and you'd play with pace but the difference between minute one and minute ten was like, and you use this as an example, like you were shaking us from our feet. And so you everything everything that we'd like held on so tight to, we were forced to let go of. Yeah, because I think the thing that the most exciting performances that I see and the most exciting actors that I see seem to be working from a place of spontaneity. They don't know what's coming next. So we'd watching them. Mm. don't know what's coming next. And that is so exciting. So when I'm tipping you upside down and shaking you from your feet, I'm just trying to shake off that unconscious way because we we all, you know, want to do it right or we're embarrassed of what might happen. Oh, God, if Julia makes me sing, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't want to <laughs> sing in front of people. But actually being open and vulnerable enough to share with us that you hate, I hate singing too, um, hate singing in front of people will actually share something authentic with us. And that means, see, if I'm watching you and I don't feel like I'm a very good singer and I see you go, you know what, fuck it, Mm. okay, I'll do it, then I go, oh, cool. Yeah. It's okay that I feel crappy about singing in front of other people. And that's what you want to share with a wider audience. You want to tell them I'm giving myself permission to embarrass myself, be as silly as I can possibly be, be as raw and, and open and vulnerable as I can be, so you can too. And I think that carries across from acting into like a part of my life as influencer as well. And when you speak to cam, whenever I speak to camera, even if it's for like an ambassador campaign or something, my mantra is just, just be real. Don't think about it. Be in the moment. Connect. And I really try to get out of, out of my own way mentally. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's why I love everything that you preach because I believe that it's something that can be used, yes, for acting, but also just for life. I want to know more about Stefan Wolf because that was a 10 week course you went over and did. And it sounds like it was the game changer for you. Totally game changing because, um, and the way I speak about it is that in Australia, we have um, a scarcity mindset, especially around the acting industry. Mm-hmm which is not untrue. Yeah. It, it, there are not millions of jobs here. We do know that our industry is tiny. Mm-hmm. However, if you are working, you are making your box smaller by working from that place of scarcity. So when I went to America, obviously, you know, like there's, there's a huge acting industry there. The thing that struck me was that all of the teachers, um, they were working from a place of abundance and the thing that stuck with me was the generosity. Mm. They were so willing to call you on your bullshit but support you getting through that bullshit and shaking that bullshit off. So their willingness to to share, and especially, you know, when I went back to learn from them, to learn how to teach the way they did, um, their generosity in sharing that with me and sharing their wisdom with me, I thought, you know what, I'm learning these fabulous techniques but the thing I'm learning more 
is that generosity and working from abundance will help an actor more than any technique will. And I'm not saying technique's bad, and it's actually very important. But without heart, soul, and generosity, your technique only gets you so far. Totally. And I think as well, I've got to stop. By the way, when I say totally, I catch myself because it's my little, like, comfy word. Oh, I, <laughs> you can just, you should do like a word tally of everyone's. You could deliver, yeah. you know, the result to people like, you know what your little comfort word yeah. is? You say, you know, all the time. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> there we go. Cut that bit. Edit. <laughs> I don't even remember. My question was around that, but basically at uh, Stephen Wolf, so you were talking about abundance and I think also living from that place of abundance and giving and being generous, it takes, in Australia, there's this weird kind of competitive thing for jobs and you can feel it in the classroom big time. And um, I think that when you don't, you kind of don't get caught up in that and you're just, willing to give and 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 be there and and share like people ask me all the time what kind of podcast you should I buy I'm like here's a list yeah go for it I was floored when I was sitting with um a couple of actors in Chicago one who had just come off Broadway and this actor said to the other actor oh hey I just got this audition for blah blah you should see if you can get a slot too and I'm sitting there going this would never happen in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Because it's the, well, there's only one role. It's not like there are a million sitcoms that you can be on in Australia. So don't tell other people about this. But uh, it's the wrong mindset. Is It's the wrong energy that, to put out. Yes. And it's like, you know how you said if you attach yourself to what you do and like attach your worth, it's that same kind of like, it's like, it's like holding on to something because you're scared that, somebody else might get it even if even though they may be better suited for it. It's like release that. It's not serving you. Right. You can't control that. You yeah. have no idea what they want. So you trying to control it. If you're right for the role and you tell your 10 friends about it as well, but you're right for it, it doesn't mean you have any less chance of getting it just because 10 friends have went in as well. So why wouldn't you be generous? Because that spirit of generosity is more likely to book you the role than the spirit of, fuckers, you better give me this role. Yeah. Because casting agents and directors can feel that. And, again, if we're speaking on a broader level, other people, no matter what context, can feel you holding on for dear life, you know, that that reek of desperation, Mm. whatever context. And while they may not be able to articulate why there is something about you that I'm, I'm not really into, I would... My hypothesis is if you want that thing so badly that you've got tunnel vision about it, you're completely missing everything else around you and you're also making the thing or person, you're putting a lot of pressure on them and they can feel that. So they can feel the desperation, they can feel the pressure. Nobody wants that. They're not going to buy from you. They're not going to give you that role. I've totally been in that desperate. Like as you say, I'm like, oh, man. I, my managers are in Sydney and I remember I go up to do morning TV segments and in Australia, because there's a lot of nutritionists, they'll put you on and then they'll blacklist you for like a couple of months and then you go back on again because they'll want to use other talent so that it looks like a variety. And I said to my manager, I was up there, I was like, how can I get back on that show? I love it so much. I know it works. Like I know they enjoy it. And she's like, you sound so frigging desperate right now. Like chill out. You'll get rebooked. Just 
you know, be, stop, like, and it's this real neediness and, and she used the word desperate. She's like, you sound so desperate right now. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow, I, you know. I know. And I, it's not that you you don't, um, of course we all have things that we want. That's very human and we talk about that in acting. You yeah. Know, what do you want from the other person? But it, I think it, it's all about where that want is seeded in you. Mm. If it's coming from a place of if I don't get this, it means I'm a crappy actor, crappy lawyer, crappy whatever. This is the, yeah. the I put that in the bad basket yeah. as opposed to I want this because um, I'll grow from it, challenge. And this goes into values stuff, which I've been teaching a thing that I didn't know was a legitimate psychology methodology. Oh, that's a Ooh, psychology what, methodology. Okay. I mean, and this is this is Chris Cheers's um, framework yeah. uh, that you work from a value mindset rather than an outcome or a goal based and mindset. You, you want to be coming from the value versus yeah, the goal. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's, like the, it's the psychology movement of like intrinsic values versus extrinsic like so things outside of you as opposed to hey I'm doing this because it feels like it resonates with who I am and what I'm all about. Exactly. Exactly. So cool. This is one of the reasons why I love acting training so much. I feel like I'm understanding human behavior. And I've said that to another teacher and they said, well, that's what good acting is. It's, mm. it's human behaviour. Mm. It's, oh, it blows our mind. It makes me just want to keep learning. I'm just closing this window. Go for it. I, I'm going to ask your next question while you close your window. So at Stefan Wolf, just to go back there for a sec, Did was, it, was the structure mainly Meisner viewpoints? Yeah, so at Steppenwolf they have um, an ensemble of actors, directors, um, playwrights, stage managers. So whoever's teaching in that particular 10-week program will be what the main subjects are. Mm -hmm. However, 99% of the time um, there will always be someone who teaches Meisner and someone who teaches viewpoints. So they can... They are the anchors of the program. So you'll do voice work, movement work, um, and it's it's 8.30 till about 6. Big. Yeah. That's solid, five days a week, yeah? It's five or even sometimes six days a week, mm. but always five. Um, so you'll do a plethora of subjects, but Meisner and Viewpoints, you'll do those for the whole 10 weeks. And then you'll do maybe some camera work or voice work. Or you'll do voice and movement the whole 10 weeks as well. Um, or monologue work and you'll do ensemble scene study. But, yes, they're the underpinning philosophies. And if we can just have like Meisner in a little, what's what I'm looking for, if you could just describe Meisner and then describe viewpoints for anyone that's like, what What are those words? Yep, cool. <laughs> no, fair enough. So um, Meis, the Meisner technique is an acting technique mm -hmm. and the byline for that is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Um, and viewpoints, the viewpoints uh, was created by Anne Bogart and Tina Landau as taken from Mary Overly, who is a choreographer, and that is a physical methodology. Um, and that's sort of like an outside-in way of working. So we're not working for any sort of, you know, emotional, um, we're not working for any heightened emotions. Yeah. We're working to get your whole body into action or activated, getting your whole body activated. 
and seeing what happens from there because all of your impulses and your instincts live in your body. So if you can unlock those, that's when you're moving towards an actor who doesn't know what's coming next and not in an unsafe way, but in a surprising way, in a way that keeps you engaged, not only with your scene partner, but with the audience as well. Ah, thank you for that. I I, I had notes for each of them and I was like, oh no, I want Julia's version. (laughs) (laughs) So I've got a quote here and it's like, uh, actors who live their way through a scene versus thinking their way through a scene. That's your whole jam, right? Yes. Because it's that's like watching real human behaviour. Well, you you talked about human behaviour is acting. The great thing I think about human behaviour is often people don't behave how you think they're going to. Totally. Yes. So, so the minute you're thinking, oh, I think I would behave like this, nah, don't want to watch it, as opposed to... Do you know what? The way that actor just looked at me is is making me piss my pants laughing, even though we're talking about our dead parent. That's far more realistic to me than you bawling and crying over the loss of your, you know? Because totally. human behaviour, yes, it's it's a centre point of acting, but only if it's truthful. Big time. I get you. I get you. And I know this... Only from feeling it really clearly the other night, and Ian said, "Stop, Lola, stop art walking across the <laughs> stage." And he said, "Also, humans don't walk backwards, Lola. Humans don't walk." And I was like, "Because I was being backed into a scene um, by my scene partner, and and he's like, humans will turn around and look where they're walking." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." Yeah, <laughs> but you you know, it's again, it's being so human and little things um, like there was a. Uh, a line that I think I'd build a habit around, a bit like when you and I were doing monologues and I knew I could feel the intonation of my voice was doing the same thing. I could feel I could feel my action was the same. I was playing the same action mm. over and over. And Ian just goes to me, I'm talking about Ian Sinclair, by the way, who has also been on this podcast, and he said, have you got any lippy? And I go, yeah, I've got lippy. And he's like, go pop your lippy on. And the moment I was putting lip, lippy on while delivering the line, it felt like it landed in my body. Yes. And I wasn't up here anymore. I was enjoying this sassy Lola. Yes. Yeah, because your your body actually has all of this information and when I I didn't do very well at movement when I studied at BCA. And my approach to when I've been asked to work physically, I always have huge amounts of trepidation because I know the more exciting, which means more dangerous because I'm less in control stuff, lives in my body. Yeah. So when you ask me to do something physical, oh, fuck, I don't want to do it. You know, there is a side of me that goes, absolutely not, which is why I teach it. Because if I do work from that place, I know impulses are going to be unleashed that I could never have thought through that I could never have planned. And that is a far more exciting way to work. And it's just being present as well, like being in the moment, being present. I've made a, a little list of things I've learned from you. Oh, so- <laughs> goodness. Okay. <laughs> these are, but these are my notes from, a lot of them are notes from term one, bit of notes from term two. And I just think they're, they're such great life hacks. So, and also I don't know if you remember this, but I sat in on your Zoom course about auditioning for commercials and doing commercials. Yes. And so for people listening, like I think a thing that I'm very aware of 
as an actor or even as a TV presenter, which is kind of more my field, you get really nervous before an audition, a casting, a meeting, and you can kind of get in your own way. And I remember I asked you in that Zoom, I was like, what's your advice right before the audition? And you're like, well, it was pretty much just be present in the moment. And then you said, you are enough. And I think if that's your mantra going into anything, this pressure is may not drop totally, but it's sure as hell going to decrease because you're like, I'm here, I'm enough. And it's like, breathe it in and just be there. Yeah, because you can be nervous and enough. You can be nervous and excited that you're about to do a TV show. You can be nervous and um, thrilled that you're about to go on a date with a person you really like. You know, they li- they can live in the same territory, but the minute you try and shut down a feeling that you think doesn't belong somewhere, well, A, it'll probably come back and bite you in the ass in the most inappropriate moment, inappropriate moment. Um, and also that person on the date or the producer of the TV show or the audience watching at home will be like, oh, yeah, again, they won't be able to articulate what's going on, Mm. but what they'll receive is someone trying to squash part of who they are to fit into a box of what they think you want to see. But actually all we want to see are people being human and authentic. Big time. I couldn't have said it better. Like I think that whether we know it or not as well, subconsciously that's what we connect to as an audience member. I know for me I've just been reading Matthew McConaughey's book and so I've been listening to all his podcasts and I'm like, you're a legend. And Mm. because he shares so much of himself, his childhood, what he's been through and he's very, he's got no, it feels like there's no filter there. Yeah. And so you already are like he feels like a comrade and it's that ability to connect when people are just like, and, and this is one of the other things you used to say at the start of class, heart open, eyes up. And I know we were using that when we were doing physical things, but I think it's a good life hack in general, like walk into a meeting, walk into an audition, walk into a date. Yeah. Heart up, eyes open. It's so good. Yeah. I, you know, that's funny that you brought that up because you're right. It, it, I would have said that because I would have seen people walking around either looking at the ground or looking at the sky. So there's something about looking beyond or looking below but actually the bravest thing to do is look ahead, not ahead as in um, not being present, but at the thing that's right in front of you. Mm. Totally. Mm. Oh, there goes totally again. Oh, well, we're just <laughs> going to go with it. Uh, another thing I love is you say go before you're ready and I think I know that we, that was very specific for our monologues and the work we were doing, but if you think about it in life, like a lot of us, and it's been common on this podcast, we'll say, I'll be like, what's your secret to a wonderful career? I interviewed Dennis Walter, who's a wonderful radio voice, been working in 3AW for 21 years, read the news for Channel 9, he sings on the carols every year. Most beautiful dulcet tones. I was like, how do I get it? I actually went to a voice <laughs> class with Matt after, Matt Filani, and I was like, how do I get chest resonance like that? And he's oh. like, <laughs> um, okay, Lola will. <laughs> um, but he said he never let his self-doubt get in the way. And he said, I was shy when I went on Young Talent Time. I was mm. a really shy kid. Uh, but he said, I, I let my drive 
be stronger than my self-doubt and that idea of go before you're ready. We can wait for ages until we, you know, lose that sneaky five kilos or feel like we, you know, have got a handle on it or, and it, again, it's like you're trying to control a situation. It's yeah. almost like wasted energy. Yeah. And also you are pretending to be a fortune teller because you'll have an idea of what ready means. But, but you have no idea what ready means. You, you have an idea of I'll be ready when this happens. How do you know that? Just go now. Just go now and see what happens. And I think, again, that means it forces us to not be in our heads but to be more from the heart. Definitely. And I have I remember when you talked about a class where it was like heart, gut, head, where do you think you're kind of like where do you lead or live from? And I was like, oh, totally the heart. I'm going to get this one right. (laughs) And I remember you being, I'm pretty sure you said gut was like the powerhouse. Yeah. And it's not that I think um, working from the heart, because we all have a different idea of what it means to work from the heart. I think you do need to have heart and soul in something, but this is probably a very acting centric idea. I think some actors associate emotionality with good acting. Yes. And so when I'm thinking about the heart, the heart to me seems very emotional. Yeah. And that is not to say that there won't be emotion in acting. Of mm. course, yeah, but it's a byproduct. Totally. So if I'm working from instinct, which I would say lives in the gut, mm. then I have more of a chance of that scenario I mentioned earlier of I have more of a chance of laughing at a funeral, crying um, when someone tells me they love me or whatever, then if I work from the heart where I may get stuck in the quagmire of emotionality instead of working from impulse and emotion may just be a byproduct of that. That makes total sense. And in yoga. I'm glad because I was like, I don't know if that makes no. sense right now. In yoga, that's like solar plexus. So that's mm. like your, your powerhouse, your passion. And so I teach yoga as well. So I'm a bit of a yogi and it makes sense. Like when you articulate it, I'm like, oh, of course. And I still, I love to make my choices from my heart, but not an emotive way, more just like energetically like, oh, that feels right in my heart. But it could be me saying that feels right in my gut, but I'm just using the heart as. Totally. And it, and it's, it's not that one cancels out another. Obviously we're still using our analytical brain when we pick up a script script when we walk into a meeting, whatever it is. But it's the balance between the three, I would say, that puts you in better stead than if you're just working cognitively or you're just working emotionally. I mean, because, and this is the only um, anchor point I can come back to, when I see actors who I believe are just working from instinct, their gut, I can't take my eyes off them. Yeah, I, th- I think you've mentioned before, like, you're, that's when you're at the theatre and you're sitting on the edge of your seat and just being like, what's going to happen next? And yeah. and Stella, my little mate, said to me at the end of class, she's like, I went from the first run of your scene, she was like, I knew exactly what was going to happen. She's like, there was no danger for me. I was just, and she's like, by the second run when Ian had kind of like tinkered with us and she said, I couldn't peel my eyes away. And she said, I was sitting right on the edge and I was like, oh. That's the that's the magic, right? Yeah, yeah. And it feels very out of body, out out of body as the actor too, because yes. you're honouring this thing that you're never going to get back again. It's just the moment that is the moment of that time. And a lot of actors come off stage going, "I don't know what just happened," which oh. actually makes sense if you've been living presently and moment to moment. 
those moments have gone. They have left you. So for you to come off stage and go, I don't know what just happened, I think is a great indication because if you do know what happened, it's probably because you projected it, you curated it, and you weren't listening. So exactly what you thought was going to happen did happen because you thought it through instead of just living through it. And I think that it takes courage to do that because thinking it through was kind of like, I'm a type, I'm a bit of a control freak. That feels very control freak. And I know that that's my tendency because I'm like, well, I'll just work really, really hard. I'll learn all my lines. I'll beat them. I'll action them. I'll, yep, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. But it, the flip side of that is if you're not open to let go of all of that, mm-hmm. then I would be the person that thinks it through and I've 100% done that. And there will be times when we all work like that, but I think at the end of the day you get to decide what was more exciting, what was more invigorating, and what did I learn from, in what way did I learn the most about myself? When I planned something out or when I, you know, done the work, done the research, but then I was open to seeing what happened on the day, on the night, in the audition. And really, that's all we have. Like, that's the best. I do, I was doing a morning TV segment and Carl Stevanovic was the host and the producer, I totally prepped it, knew everything back to front. It was all about healthy cereals, what was the healthiest. And the producer walked up to me and said, hey, you've got Carl. He might throw cereal at you. Just be ready for that. And I was like, oh, I hope he does. Like, because yeah. I was so in that moment and he's so entertaining that, uh, and like true blue entertainer so you're just in the presence of this like vortex and I was just like take me in your vortex I because I knew I'd done the work but mm-hmm. I'd let go of the planning and it's it, now I'm like oh I just need to apply that to acting but it, I think there's a magic in doing that work it's not like you can just rock up and be lazy because some actors are lazy too yeah uh, you can feel that and see that uh and so I think it's do the work but let it go that's be right in the moment that's right I mean <laughs> imagine if he had thrown cereal at you and you had just frozen because this wasn't in the plan. Yes. And then suddenly there's this 20 seconds of television, which is a very long time, of Lola just going, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, they yeah. would have had to cut to a commercial break, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, there's so many more things on this list, so I want to make sure I get through at least some. Oh, okay, this one I love. Um, I've written it down two ways, though, so please correct me which the right way is. As humans, we only use, is it 40% capacity or 60? Because I've written them both down. Okay, so, well, let's call Audrey Francis up because she is the one that gave me this statistic when I was studying and learning from her. I think we are fine to say 40%. Totally. Because I know I feel like I work at 40%. So Audrey had spoken about a Navy SEAL study that had researched humans um, in in a physical context and the fact that we only ever use 40% of our total capacity. I think there are biological reasons why that happens, right, because you have to drag the tiger. After you kill or stalk the tiger, you have to drag it back to your cave and eat it. Mm-hmm. But in, well, actually, I was about to go in 2020, but actually this is a pretty fucked up year. Yeah. Maybe the next thing that happens is that we're having to, well, I, don't, I hope we don't have to hunt tigers. Tigers are beautiful animals. But um, the fact that there's always something in reserve. In an acting context, having something in reserve is akin to 
keeping a part of yourself locked down or not being prepared to share that with us, which will keep you and stop you from living authentically, spontaneously, spontaneity, no, spontaneously. Spontaneously, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get it out. <laughs> that, was, that was me trying to conflate two words. Sometimes I just like making up words. Spontaneously. Um, yeah, if you, if you know that you're not giving it your all, that for me is an, an actor locking part of themselves away and that's not your job. Your job is to be there, give it everything. And also we have ideas of how much we can handle and how much we can endure. And that probably is a life thing. I definitely know it is for me. And it's being able to call yourself on your bullshit when you go, you know what? I didn't do the work. I looked at the script once and then I walked in. Or I researched this person on wiki, but I didn't actually research them properly. Um and that only that only works to keep you small, keep you from reaching your full potential in whatever context you're working in because you haven't put the work in. And I think a lot of people are scared of failing, right? Of course. So if I don't put the work in and I fail, well, that's fine because I didn't put the work in. But again, how would you prefer to live? I love that you just mentioned the failure because I feel like you celebrate the failure, especially with us as students. You're like, fuck it up, guys. Come on. Like just and the moment that we, that for me as well, the moment that I drop the expectation of it needing to look like something or be something, I'm like, if I fuck it up, I fuck it up. I'm going to learn from it. And also, you know, to sound like a broken record, humans are not perfect. Yeah. That is why we love seeing stage shows where people either corpse and corpsing in a stage show means they they break out laughing when they shouldn't. Yeah. You know, if you ever watch Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Oh my goodness! The t- and because those actors are reading off big, um, what are they called? Lola? The teleprompter? No, what yeah, are they? yeah, yeah. So they're, they're literally- auto cue, basically, right? Yeah, um, and you can see them laughing through it, and there is a certain amount of joy that we get because we're watching someone have an honest emotion, an honest reaction to something, which is they or their castmates are making themselves laugh. Have you seen there's a special of Ricky Gervais after Extras, the show he did, and it's a whole special on him trying to make every single mm. castmate corpse. Good. And it's for not, but then I think I find him very real and very no filter and I'm like, he's that guy that I, I remember he won, he won a BAFTA or something, he'd won some phenomenal award, got home, he was 41, and he said to his partner, why did I wait so long to chase this dream? And she said you had to live. Like life experience has made you a better entertainer. Yeah. And I think we put these weird timelines, these weird expectations on ourselves, even like these weird hang-ups about failure, and it's like, no, no, let go, be present, experience, and kind of throw your heart or throw yourself into things. And to me, this is where a very long-winded way of asking this question, but you feel fearless to me. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> would, uh-huh. you, would you say that that's or would you would you say, no, I've, I'm courageous? I wouldn't say because I like that idea of feeling the fear and being like, oh, I'm going to do it. It's like it's skydiving. I'm, sure. Uh, that's scary. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, 
My instinct wants to say you're incorrect. However, my actions, if I look at the actions I've taken in my life, I think maybe, oh, actually, I may have a little bit of skin in the game of fearlessness because when I think about myself, because I fail all the time um, and I have perfectionist tendencies, when you ask that question, my brain goes, oh, goodness, no. But if I look at the actions that I've taken, you're pretty ballsy. Well, I, I, you know, when I look at those actions, I'm taking, uh, if, I, if I'm to sort of step out of my life for a bit, I go, oh, no, that seems cool. Um, but I, I don't, but I, maybe that's normal. Do people think of themselves as fearless? Because if I were to think of myself as fearless, I don't know if, like, is it too, um, uh, well, well, I didn't even know who to answer. I just know that you feel, to me, you feel fearless. And I think you uh, invite us to kind of like feel the fear and go go anyway. And so maybe I'm associating that feeling with you. But I know that I feel fear and do things. Like I know, like I'll swim with whale shark. Like I've swum with shark. I love it. Like I, but I love that moment because I think as well it's quite addictive it jacks up dopamine and you're like oh oh, oh, I just did this thing and now I can do other things and so maybe that might be more of the psychology of facing fear but I just uh, your whole shtick is like vulnerability open uh be who you are be truthful let go of all the bullshit and to me that is fearlessness because you're dropping all these layers of who you are and you're just showing up courageously as yourself. And I think because I've had so much experience in what we do in the acting world, I have definitely gotten to a place where I have no fucks left to give in terms of what people think about me or their ideas of how a role should be performed. So in that realm, most definitely. I've yet to swim with whale sharks. (laughs) They're like giant golden retrievers. They're really friendly. I would totally do that then. I love a golden retriever. <laughs> They're just big like a bus. <laughs> That's pretty cute. I have done a little bit of digging. I spoke to one of my classmates, Ben, and I was like, hey, can you give me any juice? <laughs> Hilarious. And he Great. said to me, and I think I have the exact same phobia, he's like, Julia has a very serious phobia, phobia of vomiting. I sure do. Yeah. <laughs> so I do sure I. do. And and it's hilarious when you tell people about this because everyone's response is, yeah, no one likes being sick. I'm like, no, 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 no. There is a difference between phobic avoidance behaviours that one will do and just not liking getting food poisoning. Um, and you're the phobic. Oh, sure am. Did you even write a play about it? I did. Is this Turtle? I That's correct. Yeah. Yes, I did. I really did. And you know what, Lola? Yes. Fuck yes. There is a certain amount of fearlessness that went into going, I find this embarrassing about myself. I think it is a stupid phobia. I wish I didn't have it. So what will I do? I'm going to write a play about it and show the general public and my students and my peers. So, um, yep, 
I do have that phobia. I wrote a play about it and actually did very well. So um, there you go. You know, moving towards the things that fear you and acknowledging that and going, look, I have this phobia. I think it's quite silly, but it's also very real. And I'm going to make some art about it and yeah. show everybody. Um, actually paid off. <laughs> I love it. So are you, so, not to get too technical about vomiting and stuff, but are you someone that like can't hear it, can't smell it? You're like, I need to be away from that. Is that how far it is? Um, Yes, but after many, you know, the weird thing about it is that I didn't realize I had a phobia until about five years ago when I was scrolling through the old Instagram, as we do, and there was a post from Amy Schumer and she had food poisoning in, in, she was on tour and she had food poisoning and someone had commented, I can't hear about this or like, I hate this stuff because I have a metaphobia. And I'm like, what's that? And then I researched it and I was like, oh, goodness, (laughs) this is what I've got, right? And I'm in my 30s, like going, that thing that has plagued me my whole life has a name. Um, So so, so in the research I've done about it, it's not actually about um, the seeing, smelling. I mean, sure, that's that's never a good thing. It's actually about... For me, I think it's different for a lot of people, but I actually think this is common, inconveniencing others. Oh, wow. So if I'm on a train and I suddenly get food poisoning, then I'm going to spew over the train passengers and that is a very bad thing because well, those, those, those civilians are going to be none too pleased that they just got spewed on. So I don't want that to happen. Oh, so... Um, it's not, of course I catch trains, yeah. but um, uh, uh, if, I, if I'm if i on a train and I start feeling just a bit nauseous for whatever reason, there is every chance that I'll start getting anxious because yeah. I'm like, but what if it's, what if it's that? So your brain does the crisis mode thing and over. Oh, oh yeah. I love, I love a bit of worst case scenario thinking. Yeah. Which is why I'm an actor because now I have a place to put my very fertile imagination. You said that in our first class, you were like, this is my imagination. And you you gave an analogy of you were hiking with your partner somewhere and you the whole way you were like, I don't like hiking. And then you're like, what if I die? Like your brain was like, what if I die? Like- yeah. And again, coming back to you asking me about my fearlessness, I did do that. I hiked through a very remote jungle in Japan at the beginning of this year before Corona. And um, I it is not something that I would normally do. But I did it because I knew that I would be very scared of it. It was, it is one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but I did it anyway. Yeah. That's actually what the next play will be about. Really? <laughs> that I write, yeah. See, fearlessness. Mm. So what, and that's what I want to know, what is next for you? So. This is a January release pod. We are recording this a little bit in advance. Yes. Um there is no question that the arts industry has been decimated, like, look, all over the world. Sure, mm. we're going through a really crazy time. Um, but artists have such a great way of of being flexible and and adapting. So the next thing that's going to happen, um, I want to give actors, artists, writers a place and a, a room where they can get creative in the making of things. So the next journey in terms of what I'm going to be teaching is running workshops about um, creating your own work. 
Awesome. So fueling, fueling up to create, because I think that's what we need more of now. We need more creation of things. Um, and well, look, I'm always writing. Yeah. I, I don't. And look, writing takes a long time. So I don't know what will happen in terms of future projects along those lines. But yeah, I am, I'm excited to give other artists the space to create, to fuck things up and see what comes out of it. Do you, did you ever follow Maisie? I don't know who her second name is. She's off Game of Thrones, the little kid. Yeah. She set up a hub for artists and it's all just for connect. It's an app and it's all just about connecting artists so that like if you're, say you're working in Chicago again, you jump on this app and you're like, I want to work with a cinematographer today and it connects you all and it's designed for a hub for artists. That's great. I'll research it and send it to you because yeah. I feel like, and I'll pop it in the show notes too, it's a really cool app. That's it's called awesome. like Daisy something or other, but yeah, she's got an epic TED talk too. Wow, really cool. Okay, Munchkin, really cool human. I'll look that up. Can I ask one? This is the lucky last question. I promise. I promise. I promise. I always get too excited and get wrapped up. Uh, which fills your cup more, teaching or be like writing, acting, like the? And I know you direct as well, but which is is it? the two help one another. Like Ian talks about the two feeding one another. Definitely. Yeah. They definitely do. I I will get better at teaching the more I act. I will get a bit better at acting the more I teach, the more I write. I write because I want to say words that feel cool to say, you know. Often we're not given amazing roles, so I figure, well, you just got to make your own. Mm. Um, so I don't have a... I want all the cups. Give me all the cups, Lola. Yeah, take fill, all the cups. Fill them all up and throw them at me. They they do. You want to mix the flavors together. And also, I think as an artist, often it's like, well, are you an actor? Are you a teacher? Are you this? And it's like I mentioned earlier, I had that radio host Dennis Walter on, and he said at fifteen, he goes, I knew I wanted to be a talkback radio host. I knew I wanted to read the news, and I knew I wanted to sing. So I did all three. Yeah. For his entire career. That's what he's known for. And because I, I always was like, oh, am I going to do more TV presenting or acting? And I'm like, eh, they both make me feel great. Why not chase them both? Yeah. And then also be a, an amazing cook, be an amazing dog walker, be, yeah. you know, if you love taking care and playing with children, doing all of those things will only help your acting, your TV presenting, your open heart surgery. Do you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because when we get tunnel vision into the one thing that we do, that's when we're more likely to lose our love for it. I agree. Final one, if you had a bumper sticker or a mantra, what's your, what's your? Fuck it. <laughs> Julia Grace, you are phenomenal. It's been an honour to have you on the pod and I cannot wait till the day our paths cross again. Thank you so much, Lola. That's a wrap on another episode of Fearlessly Failing. As always, thank you to our guests. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Yummo Lola Berry. This potty, my word for podcast, is available on all streaming platforms. I'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and comment and, of course, spread the love. Mm -hmm.